We are VR. Trap tales across the continent. Raj, a fedora hat wearing senior counsel by day and an angel investor by night. But I think being able to kind of make that decision and say actually I've got skills that are transferable is a message that I think a lot of people don't get because a lot of the skills you learn people skills managing things financing it's the same right whether you're running a bank or a basketball team right Vishal a helpless foodie in the kitchen but a consummate deal maker in the boardroom one of the things that Raj and I often talk about is how by supporting the startup ecosystem you know inevitably we were able to help create premium jobs across the continent what yep. we love about your story is that you're creating some really premium jobs whether in broadcasting or sports medicine across the spectrum of premium jobs and we and we love that story it's vishal and raj on the we are vr podcast brought to you by the african private equity and venture capital association this episode of the we are vr podcast was recorded in 2021 mr kulasigam what's going <laughs> on hey vishal wow it's so good to be here again and this week we have someone who is from a country in africa that you don't often hear about You know, usually about Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, Egypt. This guy is from Sierra Leone. Okay? From Sierra Leone. And and we didn't know that we both knew him, right? So we knew him independently until last week and I was exchanging notes and I said, "Hey, do you know a guy called Victor Williams?" And he goes, "What do you mean do I know? He's my neighbor." And I well, said, "Let's see what Victor has to say." Hey guys, Vishal Raj, uh, great to be here. And uh, so I, I didn't, I didn't know you guys knew each other until last week. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's it's very odd. And Raj say, Raj and I say this often to each other that while we have independent networks, it's very interesting how we find that our networks really converge. And then when we meet the common pieces of our network. for both of us it goes deeper and richer in relationship so so welcome victor good to see you again buddy and you know Thank and victor victor is an amazing cv right so goldman sachs you know harvard standard bank he was in charge of 1000 people at standard bank <laughs> and then and then well harvard not only accepted his application he graduated and now he's on some africa board we don't even we don't even get the tour <laughs> But then, but then, look. After the cigars and the whiskey and stuff like that, in about I can't recall what what month it was. But we'll talk about COVID in a minute. But Victor rings me up and he says, "Raj, I, I'm, I'm, look, I'm maybe paraphrasing a little bit." He said, "Look, I'm in a bit of a dilemma, right? I've, you know, I'm doing great stuff and all that, and I've been given this opportunity to go join the startup, all right? Okay. Now I'm going to let Victor pick up the story." So tell us about the startup, well, Victor. Well, it's uh, it's uh, it's actually yeah. I do remember I, I did have that conversation with Raj. So I mean, he's right. I was uh, you know busy at Standard Bank, leading the corporate and investment banking business across Africa, which is about a uh, thousand people, and uh, then had this tremendous opportunity to join the NBA and to lead the Africa uh, business for the NBA. It's the NBA has actually had operations in Africa for about ten years, so this is actually more of a scale up. Um, <laughs> is in you know the business and 
has reached an inflection point and um, you know the NBA has decided to significantly increase uh, the scale of what we do in Africa and uh, so you know I um, I got offered the job as uh, CEO of NBA Africa and decided to accept it and so I've moved from what you might call a very established corporate, Standard Bank was more than 150 years old, uh, to um, a part of the business. The NBA is going to celebrate its 75th anniversary next year, but this part of the business is about 10 years old, but we think it can be significantly more over the next 10 years. So how exciting. But do you remember the conversation you had with me? Because you said to me, what shall I do? And I said, dude, You've got the, you know, the highest point of standing back almost. You know, you're obsessed about sport. I mean, like, what's your problem? Just go and do it. <laughs> That's true. Raj, Raj, Raj didn't see all the pros and cons that I saw. He just saw pros. <laughs> so you can but tell us. I don't want to get about the pros. Yeah, yeah but, uh, but, but I'll tell you, um, it, was, it was actually a very important conversation because... Um, you know, when you're making that kind of decision, and these are two great opportunities, getting affirmation from people you trust, who you know have seen a lot and done a lot, and like, like Raj has, had successful careers in law and had a very strong entrepreneurship side to him as well. Getting that kind of information from someone like him is really helpful in helping to to make the decision and so I made the decision and I've been very happy with it. You know, I, I tell my kids, I said, whenever someone asks you to do something, always say yes and work out how you're going to do it afterwards. You know what, you said that too. It's the same lights, they just recycle for different people, it's the same lights. <laughs> So yeah, no, that was that was. Uh, so, but, but you know, on a little advice. more on a little more serious note, Victor, Raj and I have kind of known each other twenty years. We keep talking about we spent the earlier part of our twenty-year life together talking about corporate life and navigating corporate life and uh, creating talent and empowering talent and all of that kind of stuff. So, talk to us a little bit about your journey on sort of, you know, the height of your corporate career and having this, still having some runway to your corporate life and then making this transition and some of the decision making, some of the challenges, some of your misgivings and how's that kind of, you know, transition been? You you made this transition over COVID, so over the last year or so, right? So a lot has happened in a very short period of time with this envelope of this crazy pandemic that we're living in. So. Open up your head a little bit for us. How did you make that decision? How did you make that transition? Okay. Um, so, you know, I mean, just so for the background of people, um, you know, I, I um, did uh, live and grow up in Sierra Leone. And, um, and then when I was about 17, moved to the U.S. Uh, for the last couple of years of secondary school or high school and then stayed on uh, for university and worked and then went to business school and then worked on, on Wall Street and banking. 
And, um, and so my career in banking uh, in the U.S. was about uh, 13 years or so. And then I decided that I wanted to come back to Africa. I've always wanted to come back to the continent. And um, so I made the decision to join uh, Standard Bank and uh, moved to, from the U.S. to uh, first to Kenya, which is where we met Vishal. Then I moved to Nigeria and then uh, now in South Africa in South Africa and had a great uh, time at Standard Bank helping to build and grow uh, the corporate and investment banking business outside of South Africa across what Standard Bank calls Africa region. So that was 19 countries across Africa. And what that taught me was that I really enjoy running businesses on the continent. I like growing businesses. I like thinking about entry into new markets. I um, led Standard Bank's um, entry into South Sudan and opening a rep office in, um, in, uh, in, in Ethiopia and starting a new business in uh, Cote d'Ivoire. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that experience of going into new markets and figuring them out and you know, building the team, hiring the people. And having been at Sandbank for about, um, you know, almost nine, ten years at that point, I was really asking myself, um, what was I going to do over the next uh, ten years of my life? I tend to do this. Uh, every milestone birthday, I turned 50 last year. So about that time, I always ask myself, so what's the next ten years going to hold? And I was pretty sure that I wanted to be on the continent. I wanted to continue to grow businesses. Um, and, um, and I wanted to take on a leadership role, like a CEO uh, level role. One of the things I came to realize during that period of introspection is that it didn't need to be in banking. That uh -huh. I so wanted... that was, was that the sort of light bulb moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that actually, um, that while I had worked at that point more than 20 years of my life in banking, that it wasn't necessary to me to continue to be in banking. And that I thought I had developed a set of broad leadership and executive skills that could be applied in industries other than banking. That so was, you know, that, that was that, important. That is such a, a lovely story. And I think you know both Vishal and I can relate to it because as you know, I have a legal background Vijal's investment banker background, and we're now in this sort of almost like a second career, although I've still got my foot as a, as a lawyer, into this whole startup world where, you know, yeah, I, left, I left corporate life behind. I even wrote a book about it. But I think being able to kind of make that decision and say, actually, I've got skills that are transferable is a message that I think a lot of people don't get, and I think we should all be looking at that saying, you know, just because I've been a lawyer for 20 years doesn't mean I can't go to something else. Just because I'm an investment banker for 20 years doesn't mean I can't do something else. Because a lot of the skills you learn, people skills, managing things, financing things, it's the same, right? Whether you're running a bank or a basketball team, right? Well, I'm kind of like yeah, Victor sure. did, asking the, the why, right? I mean, the, the personal reflection journey checking yourself, asking yourself the why is clearly important. And, and Victor is a good testimony of leaders that, that do that. Yeah, no, that's incredibly important. I think you got to know 
what what it is, what's the bigger purpose be behind the paycheck? <laughs> because uh, there are lots of jobs that can provide you know adequate compensation and advancement, but what, what's the real purpose you're trying to deliver with your career, with your life? And for me, it's always been very clear. I want to be about helping to grow successful businesses on the African continent that will give Africans more opportunity and allow them to eventually enjoy a higher standard of living. And so that arc in my career, even when I was in the U.S. and doing U.S. investment banking, I was doing that with the perspective of preparing and training myself to come back to the continent and do those things on the continent. Okay, so here's an interesting question I have for you. So I found myself, having trained as a lawyer, I have to untrain myself a little bit to be an investor. Mm. So do you find that same mindset you're having to, your approach to risk is different when you're a banker as opposed to an entrepreneur, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, and so actually, if you go back to that time we were having the discussion, Raj, and, you know, what were the, the cons now? It was about making that transition, right? It was about going from a very well-established corporate environment. You know, I could, I'd done banking for, for 20 years um, to now going into a world that was about sports, that was about entertainment, that was about content. And not having worked in that field, even though I'm very passionate about sports, it was about, do I bring domain knowledge that's actually gonna make this work? And, and I think one of the things I've come to realize over the last nine months is that the domain knowledge is accessible if you actually mm -hmm. take the time to learn and ask questions and you approach it with humility and you start off by explaining to people, hey, I don't know anything, so I'm gonna ask a lot of quote-unquote dumb questions, but that's just part of my learning process. And, it, and actually, people respond very well to that, and certainly, you know, the people I work with have been very patient with me in that journey. But the domain knowledge actually turns out to be less important than those skills around, okay, how do we think about the strategy of this business? How do we think about the people in the business and putting people in the best uh, place to succeed? Uh, how do we bring the team together and give it a clear direction and a clear sense of purpose? Uh, how do you identify what are the critical decisions that need to be made? Go out or interact with people to get a, to collect the data to, that will help you understand the decision to be made and then make the decision. Those skills are transferable and those are the ones that that I think have uh, helped me so far in making this uh, transition. So, so I'm going to tell you another of my famous quotes that I tell my kids. I said, the most important word you must have in your vocabulary, you know what, is why. Right? Why are we doing this? Why he's, are we not doing that? He's going right? to get a bill from Simon Sinek, right? <laughs> <laughs> Did he say that too? <laughs> Did he say that too? Well, he, he wrote a book about it. Why? <laughs> okay, I didn't read the book. I just made it my blood, my friend. <laughs> but, 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 Victor, talk to us a little bit about, and a lot of people would probably be amazed by reference to, to the NBA, NBA Africa as startup or scale up. Talk to us about this scale up that you found. What are you building with it? Why NBA Africa? 
what is kind of the vision, the aspiration, the journey? Okay, so I mean, so I'll start by saying a little bit of where we've been, and then I'll say a little bit about where we're going. Um, so the NBA's been operating in Africa. Well, look, the NBA story in Africa really, in many ways, starts back in 1984 when Hakim Olajuwon um, went from you know a stellar career at the collegiate level to, you know, being the number one draft pick and joining, you know, the Houston Rockets. And I think that was the first time many people saw an African player as a star uh, in the NBA. And Kareem's example, sorry, Akeem's example, you know, inspired so many other Africans to now start thinking of basketball as um, a career as an opportunity and inspired people in the NBA to think of Africa as a place where the game could grow. And so, you know, the NBA has been operating a, for example, an elite camp called Basketball Without Borders for about 17 years on the African continent. And, um, and what that has done is really um, helped us create this you know, pipeline of Africans who have gone on to play the game at, uh, at the collegiate level in the U.S. and, and, in, and on to the league. So today we have more than 50 players of African heritage uh, in the league. And uh, at the start of this season, we had about 14 players who came to the league directly from Africa. Uh, so there were draft picks directly from Africa? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, in the in the most recent NBA draft um, of in the, of the first thirty draft picks, nine were uh, of African heritage. Two directly from Africa, and seven uh, who have at least one parent who's African. Hey, but you know, Victor, can can we sort of move this conversation a little bit? Remember, mm-hmm. you and I were talking with Derek Derek Ashong, who's who's been on our podcast as well about telling an African story to the Mm. world, exporting Africa to the world, right? Mm -hmm. So can you talk to us about what your, yours and NBA Africa's vision is to export African basketball, first of all, to popularize African basketball on the continent, and then to export African basketball to the world? Because it's it's very nascent, right? I mean, where are you heading on this? Yeah, so... So look, I mean, I would say in quite a few countries, we are uh, already the second most popular sport behind um, behind soccer, uh, but a, a sport with a lot of momentum, especially with with youth. Um, so, you know, Raj, to your question, uh, we want to grow the game on the continent in a number of different ways by expanding it at the grassroots level, by setting up. Uh, places for kids once they've they've been exposed to the game to get good training and continuing to grow uh, their ability to play the game um, by setting up an ac- academy. Today we have one academy in Senegal. We want to set up a few more uh, where um, kids who we think are NBA level prospects will go, and it's a combination, you know, basketball academy and. Uh, educational uh, school so they continue to get academic training and preparation whilst getting um, very high level coaching Um, and then the basketball africa league uh, is really our sort of pinnacle initiative at the top of that 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 ladder Uh, and what the bal is is um, a new competition that we've 
uh, introduced in conjunction with FIBA um, for um, you know the best 12 club teams on the continent to play uh, the game at a professional level um, and it's a great way to uh, inspire youth on the continent to, to see basketball played very close to them at a high level and it showcases the game I mean hey um, Michelle, how, how, how cool would it be if we could if we could uh, get NBA and and what what NBA is doing plugged into the startup ecosystem some of our portfolio etc what do you think well, well, I think what, what's definitely on my mind is the distribution of the NBA content traditionally stateside was largely done by large broadcasters. Now, if you think about us as a people and a continent, there must be a Africa way of distributing that content given the fact that not any, everybody has a television, not everybody is consuming content in a more old-fashioned traditional way so mobile phones and iPads and 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 you know content through technology might be a newer way so where where we have this whole new economy of technology businesses that are driving content is the NBA thinking about that and is there a partnership with African startups that could distribute content that could partner on content that could popularize draft night, right? And just like in the United States, you know, could we get Africans in Accra and Nairobi and, and Cape Town to be glued to their televisions or consuming content about who in their community is going to be picked for the NBA, right? I mean, so would love to get your thinking on that, uh, Victor. That's a, that's a, it's a great point, uh, Vishal and Raj, and it's one that we're giving a lot of uh, time and attention to thinking about because I think you're exactly right. I mean, the the in in the U.S. and in other markets, uh, that content has been delivered through television, and um, and in Africa, you know, look, we we got very good coverage thanks to ESPN on pay television um, mm -hmm. and Canal Plus and and Zap and Bayon, we're on all the major pay TV um, channels across the continent. We're looking to broaden coverage on free-to-air because you have multiples more people sure. still watching sure. free-to-air television than, than you do pay television. But you're right, um, Africa is increasingly mobile and it's, um, and it's driven by cell phones. And so we're really um, tackling this question of how do we get our content onto cell phones in a way that is easily accessible for, for Africans, especially African youth. Now, there are a couple of things that, you know, one needs to, to wrestle with. One is um, availability of good data networks, which, as we all know, it's a lot better than it was 10 years ago, but it's still, still not where it's, it's, not where it's going to be 10 years from now. And that has, has an impact on um, the quality of content you can deliver, right? So something that is very data heavy uh, might not come down a 3G pipe in the way it does a 4G or even a 5G uh, pipe uh, elsewhere. Second element is the cost of data. Uh, you know, in South Africa, there was a whole movement called data must fall, which was really <laughs> about the prices of data should fall because it is such an integral piece 
of how one lives in, in today's And it's a barrier world. to growth, right? I mean, it's, that a, it's a barrier to growth, growth. It's a barrier to participation. So we're really interested in partnerships with various, you know, um, infrastructure providers that will allow us to tackle both of those issues. And then we're very open to discussions with content providers, aggregators, um, creators that will allow us to use our content both for the NBA and for the Basketball Africa League in ways that make it more easily accessible to you. So this is something hey, we're very interested in. Hey, you know, Rod, just speaking of Am, just like they did Mike Africa, how cool would it be to do a Dunk Africa? Right? And we have like, right? Africa dumps, right? Dunk Africa. And we have all these kids across. That would be very cool. Yeah, all, all these kids across showing their hoop, hoop talent. And, yeah. and, and we find a way to showcase this. No, actually, there must, be, think, a, there must be a way to elevate the story, put a spotlight on these young people. You're onto something. You're onto something. Could, and, that, then, and then you can say you heard it first right here. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm listening, uh, but I don't want to have a bill from Raj saying uh, he has uh, copyright on this idea. IP, intellectual property rights. Okay, no bills. <laughs> you, all you do is you buy us whiskey. We're cheap. <laughs> hey, you know, Victor. One of the things that you know, I'm not a cricket fan, but look at what's happened to the IPL in India. Right? It's gone crazy. And British cricketers, English cricketers are going to India to play. Now, who would have thought that that, that had possible, right? Mm -hmm. Now, how do we do that in Africa to find the best basketball players to make it so exciting that you're actually now attracting inward investment in terms of players, money, etc. That's that's the question that I think you must. This must be on your number one on your flip chart, or maybe number two. I don't know. Tell us. It's up there. I mean, so we're thinking about this on on two levels, right? So one is. How do you identify the talent here and get it to, you know, to the point where it's, let's say, great and world-class, right? Where it plays is a separate question, but it's about how we get it to be great and world-class. And I'll tell you, one of the very first things is get the kids started young. So, you know, the vast majority of players uh, from Africa who are now employing their skills uh, at the NBA level, many of them came to the game at ages like 13 to 16, relatively um, uh, uh, late. And mm -hmm. through their hard work and their talent and their dedication and their discipline, they've been able to build great careers. And so when we think about what would happen if we can get kids at ages six to eight to start learning the game and playing the game, then the sky becomes the limit in terms of what we would see from Africa. Our academies are an important part of this uh, equation. Um, because at the academies, we take kids who we identify as, as NBA-level prospects, and we give them that intense uh, exposure and training to eventually go on to uh, play the game at a high level. And that's why we want to expand the number of academies we have, because the one we have in Senegal is great, uh, but um, we can accommodate about 24 kids at yeah, a time exactly. there, and, yeah. and, and we think there's a lot more talent than that on the continent. Now, the BAL is actually a key part of this um, talent story as well, because what the BAL will do is give our kids the opportunity, kids from the continent, the opportunity to aspire to play the game at a high level in Africa. They don't actually have to leave 
Africa to go elsewhere to play the game at a high level. So it will allow us to retain more talent on the continent. And obviously there will be some that choose to or want to or are able to go play at the NBA level and they'll do that. But many will now be able to hopefully have, you know, a successful career in Africa. And one of the things we're already seeing, and if you look at the rosters from um, that we just announced for the BAL uh, yesterday, um, there are quite a few uh, players from around the the world uh, who've played in the NBA, played um, in the, the G League, played at the NCAA uh, level, who are coming back to play in the BAL. Now, for now, we're only allowing two non-Africans per BAL team. So, so the number who can play is, is still limited. But it's great to see that interest from non-Africans uh, to come and play in this league. And as the league grows, uh, we think we'll see more of that and we'll find the right balance between showcasing our African talent and bringing talent from elsewhere. That's what we want to see, my friend. That's what we want to see. Yeah. I, I guess the other thing I would add, the BAL is not just about basketball and what we're doing as the NBA is not just about basketball. It's about the broader sports ecosystem. Right. So the talent is not just on the court talent, it's also off the court talent. Got it. Right. It's giving, so for example, you know, just uh, in the medical area, it's creating the opportunity for us to help build the sports medicine uh, oh, capabilities on the continent oh, wow. and given doctors who have an interest in sports medicine more of an opportunity to apply their their craft uh, at, a, at a high level it's um, you know in the television production side as we take the BAL from country to country you'll have many more people who are able to uh, do, do media production and content and all yeah, of those become broadcasters, become, become broadcasters, exactly. Exactly. broadcasters. Exactly. So, so the off-court piece, we spend a lot of time talking about the on-court piece, yeah, but yeah, the yeah. off-court piece is really yeah. important to build the broader sports ecosystem and to increase the contribution that sports make. Well, well, well you know, one of, the, one of the things that Raj and I often talk about is how by supporting the startup ecosystem, you know, inevitably, we were able to help create premium jobs across the continent. What yep. we love about your story is that you're creating some really premium jobs, whether in broadcasting or sports medicine or across the across the spectrum of premium jobs. And we and we love that story. So we want and to the talent you. and the talent is there, right? I mean, it's yeah. not that the talent is not there. It's just got no outlet, right? So it, right. You know, one thing Derek did in COVID, you know, remember we talked about the Mike Africa, you know, he actually hired production and development teams in each country because he couldn't travel. And the quality of the finished product, world class. You would right. think it was made in Hollywood, right? I mean, so it's, it's there. It's just a question of tapping into it and giving them the opportunity, you know? Well, That's in fact, exactly the, right. the, the beauty of that is what was meant to be a hip-hop contest also became a filming contest across six countries, right? So, so there is that. That's a real good sort of dovetail story. So, we want to thank you, Victor. You've been such a sport. Thank you for taking the time out of your quarantine. Our neighbor, our neighbor, our brother, our old friend. 